0: Well, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're just about halfway there, uh, but the pace quickens uh, as we near the end. Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we'll we'll pick up today. But I think we need this reminder, um, as we've heard these last couple of uh, Sundays, we have an enemy. As the church, we have an enemy in any church, any people of God who will... Um, make any progress for the kingdom of God and move forward to carry the gospel to the world is going to face opposition. We have an enemy and one of his main traits, one of his chief characteristics is that he is a liar. Uh, John 8:44 Jesus told the Pharisees he said you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan, as according to Jesus, is known as the father of lies. He's been lying ever since the beginning, as Jesus said there. you remember in Genesis chapter 3. That the serpent was more cunning, more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he came to the woman, Eve, there in the garden, and he said, Has God said? So he's calling God's word into question. Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, God had only given one command, so surely Eve hadn't forgotten what God had said, but she replied, she said, we may eat the of fruit of the trees of the garden, and, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. And God had indeed said that in the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. But what does Satan come right back and say? The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, that's a simple statement, but it stands in direct contrast to what God has said. They, they can't both be true. She has to choose to believe one and to refuse the other. God has said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan comes and says, you will not die. And so she was deceived. He said, for God knows that in the days you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He says, God just wants to keep all the power and all the knowledge to himself. And if he knows if you eat of that, you're going to be like him. So he's been lying ever since the very beginning. And he still lies today, even in the context of the church. Second Corinthians, Paul said this. He said he was speaking of false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, making themselves look like they are true um, preachers of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So Satan is a liar. It's just part of his character. He's been lying since the very beginning. You can see it all throughout human history. And even today, even in the context of the local church, he's still telling lies. And so we have that in our mind as we come to Nehemiah. Internal conflict, as we saw last week, has seemingly been resolved. At least it's not causing a major uh, issue at this point. The work on the walls is, is nearing completion. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, It happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates. And So at the beginning of that sentence, you see that the work is coming to an end. It's nearing completion. The walls are up. There's no cracks. There's no problems in the walls. The gates just need to be hung at this point. I mean, this is celebrating time for the people of God. But opposition intensifies with deception after deception after deception. We see it here in chapter 6. Lie after lie after lie. And so if Satan comes along to attack the church and, and brings opposition to the work we're doing here from the outside and that doesn't deter us, he'll start working from within. Have his agents within the church within the congregation, to try to to stir up strife and to cause problems. And and if we respond rightly to that, we, we might say, oh great, we've defeated Satan, he's gone. He won't bother us anymore. But he just turns up the heat. So as we want to progress and we want to follow Jesus and we want to do all that God has called us to do, I want to let you know it's never going to get easy. Now, there'll be seasons, of course, where it seems like things go right along, I hope, and there's no problems for a little while, but always there's going to be that threat of attack. And there's always going to be lies that Satan will be throwing at the church to try to get us off track. The same's going to happen here just like it did in Nehemiah's day, but when the body is at peace internally, progress is succeeding, that is when the father of lies does his worst. So what kind of lies should we watch out for? There are some kinds of lies that I see here in Nehemiah 6, and I think they apply even to us today. And the first is this, lies that would stop the work of God. Lies that would stop the work of God. You look there in verse 2, after the work is is, uh, nearing its completion, verse 2 says that Samballot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they sought to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Now they see that the walls are coming up, that progress is being made, and Sandbald and Geshem and Tobiah and these guys, they, they send a letter to make it sort of look like they just want to talk. You know... Things are going well for you. Let's just get together and see if we can be friends. That's what it looked like on the surface. Now, Nehemiah clues us in. He says, they just wanted to do me harm. They were just trying to pull me away. And you get that first letter that says that. I can imagine that first time after all the experience he's had with these men, it was probably really easy to say, no, guys, forget it. After all we've been through, really, you're going to want me to come visit you in the the plain uh, or the village of Ono? But then the second letter comes. And maybe he rolls his eyes. God, really? They sent another letter? They're, they want, they're asking me to come again? The third letter comes. And somebody says, you know, Nehemiah, really? They, they might just want to talk. Maybe they just want to talk peace. Maybe they really do just want to have a relationship with us. Nehemiah responds the same. Again, he says, no, I'm not going. They just want to do us harm. The fourth letter comes. Now, who do you think is really starting to look like the bad guy? the grouch pot that won't go meet with the neighbors, right? Nehemiah risks looking like the bad guy here, the guy who just doesn't want peace. He's got, he's all up in arms and wants to fight. But all four times they send this letter and he sends back and he says, no, I'm not going. What's, what should I do? Leave the work of God here. It's, it's almost done. Do you want me to leave? So it'll stop. Now, you'd like to think that Nehemiah could leave and the work would continue and things would go well, but we've seen over and over again that whenever you've got a good leader and people are following, if he leaves, sometimes the work does just fall apart. I think about Moses there in the wilderness. God calls him up on the mountain and all the people are left down at the bottom. They've been brought out of Egypt. What's the first thing they do? They build an idol. They melt down all their gold and they start making golden calves to worship. So Nehemiah recognizes he's needed there. If he leaves, the work might fall apart. He's not willing to risk that for a conversation with people who just want to do them harm. And in our world today, there's all kinds of lies that come at us that might seem like uh, it would be good for us to do, good for us to have relationships, good for us to to go and, and work together with certain groups of people for certain causes, but in reality, it just distracts from the real work that God's called us to do. I mean, there's so many adjectives for justice out there in the world right now. There's a justice for everything. Now, none of it really references God's justice and biblical justice. But some of these things say, well, if you don't join our cause, if you don't agree with us, then you just, you just hate these people, or you, you hate the environment, or you know, all these things. And so maybe even to reject, to cooperate with people who are of the world and following their father, the devil, you might look like the bad guy, because you won't just go along. But we can't go along with things that will distract from the work that God has called us to do. Even if it looks like a good cause, it may just not be what God's called us to do. How has God commanded us? What has He given us to do? We can summarize it in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples of all the nations. Now, there's a lot of work out there that could be, fall under the category of loving your neighbor, and doing good deeds. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when it comes to the ministry of the church, if the, if our work, if our ministry doesn't hit all of those objectives, we fail. When we consider a ministry or com- consider a project or anything in the community, we have to think, is this going to help us or others love God? Is this going to contribute to the worship of God in the world? Is this a way we can show God's love to our neighbors? That we can love others? And, will this help us make disciples? Does this contribute to the furtherance of the gospel? And if we can't hit those objectives, it's not the ministry of the church. Though it might be a good deed. And lies will come against us trying to draw us away into these other paths and these other works to be done that just distract us from the work that God has called us to do. To love Him, to love others, and to make disciples. And notice that Nehemiah, he, he, didn't, he didn't love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Our discipleship group read John 8 through 12 this week. And um, we came to chapter 12, and, and Jesus referred to these Pharisees that said that they had believed in Jesus, but they didn't confess him openly. And he gave us the reason right there in the text. He said, Because they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. We have to be willing to please God regardless of what other people think of us. Love the praise of God more than the praise of men. That's the first one. The second is lies that would cause you to fear. Lies that would cause you to fear. Look at verse 9 there. The second sent his servant to me as before the fifth time. Okay, here he comes with a fifth letter. But this one's different. With an open letter in his hand. And it was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. You've also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. They're still trying to draw him away, but they've let down the friendly veneer. Nehemiah, we know what's really going on. We know that you're really building these walls because you want to be the king. You're just trying to grab power. You've got your influence and you don't want to let it go. We're going to tell the king. Don't you love that stage that your children go through where they tell on each other for everything? Oh, it's great. I won't elaborate any further. But here they are. We know that you just want power, you just want to be the king, and we're going to go tell the real king. See what he has to say about it. Verse 8 says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For For they all were trying to make us what? Afraid. Saying, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now people will throw accusations at you when you're following the Lord and doing his work. They'll uh, say that you're hateful. That you're a bigot. um, That you don't love people the way Jesus would. You know, they'll throw Jesus out there. They'll threatened to take away your rights. You're doing things that are wrong, things that go against the rules, and you can't do that. We're going to come after you. You're going to court. May just be insults and attacks on your character. And let me just be honest, that one hurts worse than the others. When you're just trying to love the Lord and do right, and people come at you and say, you're just filth. You're just trying to power grab. That stuff hurts, and it can make you afraid. It can make you hesitant, timid, scared to speak the truth in love. I remember an occasion I was speaking to a lady, and and the conversation turned towards spiritual things. She found out that I was a Christian, and uh, she said, what kind? (laughs) You know, because there's uh, all sorts of denominations out there. And I said, I'm the kind that believes what the Bible says. You know what her very first question was after that? You think gay people go to hell? I mean, that's a loaded question. And the, the purpose of her question wasn't to get an honest answer, it was to intimidate. So we had a conversation, a good productive conversation actually, But the point is this, people will will throw questions at you, they'll throw insults at you, and they're not actually trying to learn anything or get a clear answer out of you or know what you believe. They're just trying to intimidate you. Lies will come about that just intend to make you afraid. But notice how Nehemiah responded. Verse 8, he said, you know it isn't true, you made it up. He didn't write a blog about it. He didn't record a video to put online. He didn't write an open letter to the community. He just said, guys, you know that's not true. You made it up. And he kept working. So you know what you can do when you hear lies that are being told about you and you're tempted to be afraid and to back off in the work? You keep working. You say, guys, you know it isn't true. You made it up. I'm just going to go do what God's called me to do. Paul told the church at Rome, he said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather, give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord will avenge you, the Lord will take up for you. You just say, guys, you know that's not true, and you keep on trucking. You keep working, you press on. That's how he responded to his accusers. But how did he respond to God? Because I can imagine even though he knows what's right, he knows he shouldn't retaliate, he shouldn't threaten back, he shouldn't throw insults at them, he needs to just keep on working, but it still hurts. It can still make you afraid. And so he says there in verse 9, he says, they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, he says, oh God, he prays, oh God, strengthen my hands. Because even when you know what's right, you can still be bogged down. You can still feel weak. You can still feel afraid. So the answer is not to respond to your enemies. Your answer is to turn to the Lord who is your strength. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what Nehemiah does. He looks to the Lord. Lord, strengthen my hands. The third lie. Third lies are those that tempt you to dishonor God. Lies that tempt you to dishonor God. Look look there at verse 10. He says, Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come and kill you. Now, this is somebody who seems trustworthy. He'll tell us in a minute, he actually was perceived to be a prophet. He was supposed to be a man of God. And he says, Hey, Nehemiah, got to let you know, they're coming to kill you and they're coming at night. Have a good night's sleep. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with wanting to preserve your own life? No. Is there anything wrong with staying awake just to make sure nobody comes into your house with a knife? No. So what's the problem here? Well, a couple of things. He said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would, not, who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So a couple of things here. If Nehemiah flees and goes and hides because of what's been said about him, a threat to kill, then he's going to turn all the people into a panic. They're looking to him for leadership. He's more concerned about being a strong leader for the people of God so that they won't be afraid than he is about saving his own life. That's a real leader. The other issue is this, and it's implied in the text, that he was wanting him to go in, not just into the temple, but into the innermost part of the temple where only the high priest was allowed to go. Nehemiah was not allowed to go in there. That's where the, God met with man. Nehemiah says, I'm not going in there. That would be sin. That would dishonor God. It would break His law. I'm not allowed in that room and I'm not going in. Not even to save my own life. Here we come again to be, do you fear God or do you fear men? Yes, he's got men who as far as he knows are trying to kill him. But the answer isn't to go into a place that God has forbidden you to go because you're going to stand before God at the end. And give an account for your life. listen, sometimes lies come as threats that don't really exist. You see, he says here in verse 12, he says, Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So the threat wasn't even genuine. It was a lie. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Sometimes we do uh, have lies that come into our minds or that people tell us that that really aren't actual threats against us. I mean, maybe I'm the only crazy person in the room, but I, I feel like I'm probably not. You have those times whenever somebody says something, and maybe it's a criticism, maybe they didn't even mean for it to be, but you took it that way and it was kind of hurtful, and then the next time you're alone, you're thinking about it, and then all these imaginary conversations happen. Okay, a couple of people are nodding. All right, it's not just me. Things that have never actually been said, something that, that, things that will never happen start running through your mind. Those are lies. Yes, they're things that you can make up in your own mind, but a lot of that is spiritual warfare. Those thoughts come from the devil. They're not from God. They're to scare you, to threaten you, to make you want to dishonor God and to disobey Him. Sometimes lies come from people who appear to be our friends, those who seem to have our best interest in mind. You know, this guy came to Nehemiah like he was actually concerned for his life. Nehemiah might have been tempted to believe him. Man, this guy, really he's looking out for me. And sometimes there are people who will come to you and will say things to you and that sounds like they have your best interest in mind, but in reality, if you follow their advice, you do what they say, you're going to dishonor God. Man can't be your standard. God's Word has to be your standard of what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes lies sound like good advice. That's dangerous. That's dangerous territory whenever the lie, when the deceit sounds like a really good idea. These lies are so dangerous because it becomes easy to disobey and dishonor God. Friends, we cannot disobey God for our own self-preservation. Because we think that we'll come out better if we disobey God. I promise you, you won't. It's better to obey God rather than men. Nehemiah would have rather died than to disobey. Even when he thought this threat was real and that people were going to come try to kill him, he would not go into the temple. His response considered the effect it would have on others. It, he considered um, his loyalty to God greater than his own desire to live. Man, would I wish that, that there were more Christians like that. That we're more concerned about being obedient to God than even their own breath. May God bring me and all of us to that point where we're that concerned for what he wants rather than what we think is for our own good. And his response here in verse 14, he just places his enemies in God's hands. He says, my God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. The solution isn't to retaliate. It isn't to throw rocks. It isn't to hurl insults. It's to give them into the hands of God. God, you know my enemies. You know those who are against me. You know those who would hinder your work. And so, Lord, I'm just going to give them into your hands. I'm going to be faithful in the things you want me to do. You take care of all the obstacles. You take care of those who would stand against us. Oh man, that would bring so much peace to so many churches. Just give the enemies, just give the obstacles into God's hands. Uh, Those are the the three sets of lies, but there's some more here in this chapter I don't want us to miss. Verse 15 there. Listen, this would be so easy to miss in this big narrative. This one little verse. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. These guys that keep working on bridges in Pilot Mountain (laughs) could learn something. Or building houses, right? Uh, The Whitakers here, yeah. They could learn something. These guys, thousands of years ago, with their tools, not nearly advanced as our own, built a wall and hung its gates in 52 days. Praise God for it. God accomplished the work that he sent them to do. And look at verse 16, he says, It happened when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us saw these things. They were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by Nehemiah's great leadership. By the hard work of the people of God. No, he says, they perceived that this work was done by our God when God does a work in the face of opposition, when everything else comes against us, He will bring that work to completion, and He will be the only one who will be able to get credit for it. If you look at a work that's done in a church, and you say, man, those folks are onto to something, that pastor, he gets it, man, those Sunday school teachers and discipleship group leaders, those deacons, let me tell you, if that's your response, it might not have been of God. I want the Lord to do the kind of work here that none of us can say, oh yeah, we did that. I want the Lord to do the kind of work here in this church and in this community and our county as a whole where people look, people who don't even know God, people who hate God will look and see that that work was done by their God. There's no other explanation for it but that God has done this. Listen, the the, the point is this. Despite all of Satan's lies, despite all of his opposition, God's work will succeed. God's work will succeed. The completion of the wall didn't mean that all of Nehemiah's problems came to an end, okay? Verse 17 through 19 there tells us about people who were loyal to Tobiah, and they were sending letters back and forth, and the things that Nehemiah said, they were sending it to him, and he was sending letters back just to make Nehemiah afraid, even after the work is done. There's still people on the inside who are connected to people on the outside. There are people who were physically were within the walls of God's people. They were there in the congregation if you will. But their hearts were in the world with the enemies of God. It showed to whom they were really loyal. The same is true in the church. The presence in a church service here on Sunday morning, I'm glad you're here. Praise God for it. But presence in a church service does not guarantee that you're a Christian. You show who you really are loyal to, not in how you behave when you're inside these walls, but how you conduct yourself when you're out there in the world. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you'll truly be my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many of you have been in church for a long time. You've been in this church for a long time. Some of you have been here more recently. But regardless of how long you've been here or how long you've been going to church or how long you've been serving, let me tell you this, when the end of your life comes, you will go either to heaven or to hell. You will be with God for all of eternity or you will be the object of his wrath for all of eternity because of your sin. And your service in the church, your presence and your attendance will have absolutely no bearing on whether you escape his wrath and go to heaven and be with God. None. Whatsoever. There are people in Nehemiah's day who are there, they're inside the walls, they're with the people of God physically, but they're loyal to the world outside. And in the church, I'm afraid it's the same way. There are people who are here, they sit on the pews, they come to church. Looks good on the outside, but in their hearts, they're living after their own desires, their own lusts, and after the ways of the world. But despite all of that, God's work will succeed. God will accomplish His work Christians, don't miss this truth. Despite all of Satan's lies and all of his opposition, God's work will succeed. There is opposition on every side, sometimes even inside. But rest assured that, as Paul told the Philippians, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Jesus will build his church. And if you happen to be one of those who... Maybe you're in the church physically, but you've not been born again. You're not part of the family of God. Jesus still died for you. Jesus still loves you. There is still an offer of forgiveness and salvation for you. You're not trusting in what you've done for the church. You're not trusting in your attendance. You're not trusting in how good you might have been or think you have been. You forsake your sin, you forsake all your efforts to please God on your own, and you just throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. You say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're the only way I'll ever make it. Forgive me, save me, and he will. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, you're good to us. You've given us your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply it to each individual as needed. Some people are hearing lies in their own minds that need to be dispelled. They have, maybe they have people in their lives that are telling them things that contradict your word, and they're tempted to either be afraid and to hold back from telling the truth or even to plunge into sin. And Lord, I pray like Jesus called us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Lord, there are those who are lost, who have come to church today. They've, they've done a religious thing, but they, they've not been born again. And Lord, I pray that you'd show them their need, that they're lost, they stand under your judgment, but you love them and Jesus died for them so that they could be forgiven and saved. And I pray that they would repent, turn away from their sins and their self-righteousness, and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone today. And may we as your people stand firm when opposition comes, when lies come at us, not to retaliate or to fight back, but to leave our enemies and opposition in your hands and to keep on working confident that you will finish the work that you've started in us. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.